Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, this episode is sponsored by italki, uh, that brilliant service that you can use to find a personal English teacher or language partner who you can speak to regularly from your own home or office or wherever you have an internet connection. And that could make a huge difference to your fluency in English. And remember that when you purchase some lessons, italki will send you a voucher worth 100 italki credits, which you can then use as a discount in the future. To get that offer, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. All right then, let's get started with this new episode and here we go. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Here's a new episode. You're actually listening to it. It's really happening. Uh, And here is my introduction. Uh, This was a very fun episode to record, and I very much hope that it's also going to be a very fun episode for you to listen to. Uh, This is going to be a two-part episode, and here is part one, and this is the introduction. Uh, So Amber and Paul are back on the podcast in this episode, and this time we're going to play a game in which we imagine that we are detectives trying to solve a mysterious series of kidnappings in Victorian London, and you're going to join us. In the recording that you're going to hear, uh, the three of us are reading through an online text adventure game, one of those games where you read part of a story and then make a decision which affects the way the story continues, one of those games. Um, I have done this on the podcast before, and it's always a fun thing to do, so let's do it again. Uh, The cool thing about this is that the entire text for the story is available online for you to read too. It's all there if you want to read it. Just visit the page for this episode and you can see the link to the game. Just click that link, or alternatively, just go to textadventures.co.uk and find the story called Victorian Detective 2 by Peter Carlson. Okay, just um, visit that, and if you check out the, uh, the text for the story, you can then not only listen to this episode, but also play the game and read all of the text as well. And this opens up lots of possibilities for using this episode to improve your English. And here are some ways that you can do that. So option number one is that you just listen to this. You know, you might be on a bus or walking around or, you know, sort of flying a, a, a jumbo jet or uh, just floating around in the International Space Station. I don't know what it is you're doing. Maybe you're doing the ironing and you can just listen. Just listen and enjoy it. Just listen to us going through the story. Try to follow all of it. Uh, follow all of our choices as we go through the story and just try to enjoy it as an entertaining detective story even if there are, even if there might be some bits that you don't quite understand, 
Uh, you will hear the entire story from start to finish in this episode and in the next one. So just listen and enjoy it. That's option one. Option two would be you listen to it. And then after you listen, uh, like, for example, when you get home or whenever you're in front of a computer or whatever, after you listen, you play the text adventure game yourself. And that way, you'll get lots of reading done. And it'll be a bit easier to follow the story because you will already have heard us reading through it. Um, And it will reinforce the things that you heard in this episode. And it will allow you to check out words that you didn't catch Uh, When you heard it the first time, you can check out those words by using an online dictionary and so on. Uh, Also, as you play the game, you can make different choices if you want, and you can experience a completely different story. So that's option two. You listen first, then you read. Okay. And option number three would be um, you listen and read at the same time. Following, following everything we do, clicking on the same things as us, making the same choices, and effectively just reading along with us. Uh, you can pause the episode whenever you want if you want to use online dictionaries to check the meaning of, uh, of, of words that you don't know. And just generally, you listen and read at the same time. And, you know, that can be really good for your English because you get the, the visuals of the words. You're actually reading the words and you're hearing the way those words are pronounced as well. So there are just some options for you. Just listen, or listen, then read, or listen and read at the same time. Um, Now, uh, another thing that you should know is that this is a crime story, and it involves some descriptions of violence and a few gory details. I mean, it's no worse than an average episode of uh, your typical crime thriller uh, on TV or something like that. But there are some descriptions of violence involving blood and a bit of mortal danger, you know, just the usual things. So if you are feeling a bit squeamish, if you're feeling a bit sensitive, then um, I suggest that you, I don't know, have a bottle of brandy nearby so that you can revive yourself in the typical sort of 19th century fashion by drinking some brandy, which will obviously will make you feel much better. Uh, That's just a suggestion that you could just take a few deep breaths if you want or kind of uh, have a cup of tea to to calm your nerves, whatever it is. But anyway, there is a little bit of graphic violence in this story. But I mean, really, it's not that bad. But I just wanted to let you know. Um, uh, Also, I understand that this whole story might be a little bit difficult to follow. Or maybe not. Um, you, you might have no problem following it at, uh, uh, at all. But I have the feeling that it will be a little bit trickier than other episodes because the three of us get quite animated and quite excited at times. And we speak rather quickly, interrupting each other and talking over each other sometimes. But as we've established before on this podcast, that's actually quite good practice for your listening skills being able to follow a group conversation. Um, because there are many situations like that that you could face in the future um, and you need the practice. Imagine, for example, a business meeting involving you and three other people and it's all in English and everyone's enthusiastically taking part, sharing ideas quickly, working together uh, to make decisions and it's all happening uh, very rapidly. Um, um, it's good to listen to that kind of thing rather than just always listening to one person giving a monologue or just two people discussing something 
Uh, it's good to to listen to uh, group conversations that happen rather quickly because they will that will basically prepare you better for that kind of situation that you might experience in the future. Uh, so episodes in episodes like this, you can get used to hearing multiple voices discussing things and making decisions together. Um, now on the subject of language. Um, and we're still in the introduction here. Uh, on the subject of language, I suggest that you try to notice specific language uh, in our um, in our conversation. Um, and I mean things like decision-making language, uh, specific verbs to describe movement, and also modal verbs for speculation and deduction. Uh, so, from a from a language point of view, I want you to just watch out for um, this type of language. So, for the uh, the, the language for making decisions. So listen out for the way that we ask each other for opinions on each decision, uh, the ways that we agree or disagree, the ways that we speed things up or slow things down, the way we uh, clarify meaning, and the way that we summarize or recap information that's already um, been said. Um, these things, these little things that we do, are often done very quickly, yet they're very important practical bits of English uh, for teamwork, all right? So watch out for the kind of language of negotiating the meaning uh, and making the decisions and so on. Also, uh, the story has some moments of action, and so there's a variety of verbs used to describe different types of movement as well. Um, So kind of watch out for them, and remember to read the text to help you you have that option. Um, And thirdly, uh, watch out for the language of speculation and deduction. Um, So since we're working together to analyse evidence in order to work out what's going on, uh, there's a lot of language of speculation and deduction in the recording you're going to hear. So that includes simple ways of doing that, like, for example, just putting the word maybe or the word perhaps at the beginning of a sentence. For example, perhaps she ran away or maybe she was kidnapped. So that's the simple way of doing it, just using perhaps or maybe at the start. But also watch out for more complex ways using modal verbs to speculate about the the past. Modal verbs, you know, like might, uh, could, can, must, things like that. For example, uh, when you're talking about uh, possibilities with uh, might or could, like just talking about things that are possible in the past, for example, she could have run away. She she could have run away. She could have run away. Uh, and that when you say that quickly, it sounds like she could have run away or she might have been kidnapped, which uh, said quickly sounds like she might have been kidnapped. Okay. Uh, or when you're certain that something happened and you use uh, the modal verb must in the present, um, Uh, It could be in the present or in the past. In the past, it would be, for example, she must have escaped through the window uh, and said quickly, that goes, she must have escaped through the window. That's in the past. And in the present, uh, he must be at the hotel, for example. He must be at the hotel. And also, we use can't to talk about something that's not possible. For example, he can't have escaped through the window. It's not big enough. He can't have escaped through the window. He can't have escaped through the window. It's not big enough. Or it can't be the father. Um, Okay, so watch out for um, 
might have and could have for possibilities, must have for things that you're certain about, and can't have things that you're certain uh, were impossible. Um, okay, and also watch out for the way that we say those auxiliary verbs when we're speaking quickly. For example, he must have gone through the window. Have is a bit hard to hear there. It's not must have gone, it's must have gone of, right? He must have gone through the window. So of sort of gets squashed and it sounds like have, doesn't it? He must have, must have, of. Um, so it's hard to hear, but you know it's there because of of, first of all, which is essentially like an extra syllable, must have, must have, it's two syllables. One is must and must have is two syllables, isn't it? And also by the fact that that's followed by a past participle. He must have gone, right? Must gone. If it's in the present, it would be must go, like present or future would be must go, but in the past, must have gone. Okay. Or can't have done, he can't have done it. Can't have done it. Fine. Okay. Anyway, keep in mind that kind of language and also the fact that you can read the text for this story too, whenever you want. And you'll see that there is a lot to be gained from this episode in terms of uh, English learning. But also, um, I hope that you just enjoy listening to the story and spending some more time in the company of Amber, Paul and me. And all right, then that's enough of an introduction. I think we should now get started. So here we go. Amber and Paul are on the podcast. Amber and Paul are on the podcast. Amber and Paul are on the podcast. Amber and Paul are on another podcast. Paul's a very funny boy. His laugh I very much enjoy. Amber's got a lovely voice. If I could choose an accent, hers will be my choice. Yeah. Right then, hello you two. How are you? Hello. Good. I wasn't rushing to get here though. Oh, oh. from the start. Oh, <laughs> Straight in with a Russian joke. It's got to happen. Not oh. even, n- not even contextualised either. <laughs> Off the bat, I like wasn't that. Russian to get. You, thing is though, you you got here before I did. Yeah, you were both waiting downstairs in the uh, in the food place. That's true. Food we place. To get here. If you food don't know about the Russian joke, people, what it was. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> we don't have time for the oh, Russian joke. No, no, no. There's no, 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 no. no time. Oh, it's never going to not be funny for me. Don't right. just don't go it's there. That's right. Um, Right, so Paul, what's going on? Describe this scenario. Uh, we're sat in your apartment. Uh, it's a grey day outside, a little bit rainy. We're drinking three cups of tea, like proper English people. Mm. And uh, we're sitting in front of your TV um, with something on it. And I think we're going to be using it. So it's a bit of a surprise. Uh, I don't really know what we're doing. Yeah. So uh, I'm excited. Amber, are you excited? I am excited. I'm very excited. Okay. Notice the way that Amber says excited and you say excited. Excited. Yeah, I'm a bit more uh, a bit more uh lower class than Amber. I'm no, a bit more You were just uh, keen to get to the end of your word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Expedient word. Excited. Sorry, I'm excited. Let's let's not get sort of uh immediately into the tangent of no. accents because then we'll be here all day. Um all right then. So yeah, we're going to do a game in this episode. Sounds amazing. All right. Yeah. Um we're going to do we're going to become detectives. All right. Do we have special names? I, well, I was wondering what the name of our detective agency would be called. I was thinking, you know, our surnames would be involved. So I was thinking of, um, oh, I don't know, something along the lines of um, something you've Taylor, written. Thompson and Minogue. Oh, or that's pretty good. Yeah. Taylor, Thompson and Minogue or, or Thompson, Taylor and Minogue. 
We've got to do Thompson first, right? Thompson Taylor. Or Minogue. Thompson it's got, Taylor. Isn't it got to be in uh, alphabetical order, it's, those things? Minogue, Thompson, and Ta- Minogue, no, Taylor. And I Taylor. think no, no. Thompson, Taylor, no. Minogue. It's all about the way it sounds. You think Thompson, Taylor, and Minogue sounds better, do Thompson, you? Thompson, Taylor, and Minogue. I uh, like Taylor, Thompson, and Minogue. Taylor, Thompson, Minogue. I like them both. Yeah, Taylor, Thompson, Minogue. Let's go for it. TTM. Okay, Taylor mm. Thompson and Minogue, uh, private detectives. Okay, Taylor so, Minogue and Thompson. Mm. Are, um, are you fans of like detective stuff? Do you read detective stories? Have you ever read any detective? I've, read I've not read Sherlock anything. Holmes. Paul, you've never read I've any. I've never books. read a book in my You've life. Never read a book. <laughs> Except you read Steve Jobs' uh, autobiography, didn't you? Yeah. Um, no, yeah. I have read books, but I don't really read novels. I only read either autobiographies, biographies, or like I used to read a lot of business books. Non-fiction. Yeah, non-fiction. I don't mm. read uh-huh. fiction. I'm, I don't have an attention span. We've talked about it in previous podcasts. We have. That my attention span is not very good, so I, I prefer to watch the film. Yeah. Um, so yeah, fiction books don't do it for me, but non-fiction I, I enjoy. Okay. Facts, basically. Mm. Yeah. Um, Amber, you're very well read. You're extensively, uh, an extensive reader. You must have read a few Relati- detective yeah. stories in your, in your time. Sherlock Holmes, obviously. Oh yeah. Agatha Christie. Yes. Dorothy L. Sayer. Okay. I like them. Yes. I like a sort of gentle detective story. I really? have read a detective story once. Go on. Goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> that was. <laughs> is that a detective? I've never read. I've never read it, Goosebumps. It was kind of. A, it was kind of. You didn't really know who the bad guy was. Uh, what is Goosebumps? Goosebumps. Um, I guess the title because it's supposed to give you goosebumps. What, what's that? What are goosebumps for? Uh, goosebumps <laughs> is Good when question. you when you just Wikipedia it. Yeah, go, go to Wikipedia. No, it's either <laughs> when you're cold or you're scared. Your skin. Uh, in France, they call it to have chicken skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, some of you might relate with that phrase more. Basically, you get little dots on your little, uh, little bumps. It's like yeah, your skin bumps. goes all rough uh, as a reaction to either cold. Well, hold on, chicken, chicken, chicken skin, goosebumps, the same, same. thing. Yeah. yeah, goose and chicken. Yeah. When you pluck a chicken, it has the. You left, know when you pluck a chicken. You know when you pluck you a know chicken. That thing that we always do. <laughs> yeah, like most of your listeners do. You know, as opposed to buying it in the supermarket. Uh-huh. But when you do buy it at the supermarket, the skin of the chicken without the feathers has got little like bumps in it. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah. that happens, you know, when you when you get scared, and so the books were scary books. But there was also an element of uh, of uh, the, and when you said to me uh, for the podcast we're going to do like um, uh, a choose your own adventure adventure thing. Goosebumps had that. Like, oh, if if you want to do this, go to page twenty two, and then you'd flick to page twenty two, and then you change the course of the story. If you want to finish this book early, just go to the last page. <laughs> yeah. No, because the end of the book was like somewhere in the middle, so they, they thought that one through. Oh, I see. All oh, right, okay. Um, all right, so Goosebumps is like a children's series of, of books. Uh, adolescence. Series of books for adolescents. At least I read them in my adolescence. Adolescent? I thought they were children's <laughs> books. How embarrassing. R.L. Stein. <laughs> you, Paul read them when he was like 21. <laughs> so last Happy year. Happy birthday, Paul. You've finally come of age. Here's your birthday present. Oh, fantastic. What is it? Goosebumps. Series one through four. Even, uh, <laughs> but even the, the cool thing, I remember the book covers even had goosebumps like they were um sort of textured. 3d yeah textured uh textured uh covered anyway uh and they were like adventure sort of detective stories for for kids yeah a little bit and more scary than than, than adventure okay. uh, they were adventure definitely detective less so okay, okay. and I, I imagine you've you've read you've watched sherlock and all that stuff good we've yep. established what the detective genre oh, yes. is at this point mm-hmm. okay deductive reasoning is going to be involved in this apparently i don't know what that means deductive reasoning is your ability working things out yeah from evidence 
So it's it's your I'm ability. Good at that. It's your ability to recognise certain clues and then put them together to make correct judgments. I'm not good at that. I'm rubbish at that. Oh, Me too. Okay. I'm I'm generally pretty bad at that. Oh, I might win a game for once. <laughs> well, we're in, no, we're in this together. We're, oh. we're partners we're in this together. We're partners. In but have you already read the? St- you already know the. No, thing? I don't know the story. I've okay. never read this. Okay, cool. No, never okay. read it. Um, and so yeah, all right. We're gonna have to look at the evidence and stuff like that. Uh, um, what was that? What were some of your examples? That you oh, that, that was just some examples of riddles. Just oh, to okay. kind of give a, a, an example of deductive yeah, reasoning. I'll, 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 let's let's get okay, warmed let's, up. Let's okay. do warm up. Okay, then you two. Let, I know the answer to this one, but okay. just to get into the mindset of deductive reasoning, here are one or two riddles. Um, so here's the first one. There are three light switches in front of you. Imagine yep. three oh, light great. switches in front of you. Oh, I've got a good one. I, I've got my own example of one of these things. Yeah, okay. yeah my okay. dad used to tell them all the time. Yeah, go, go, go. So you've got three light switches in front of you. The light itself is in an upstairs room and you can't see it okay uh, but you've just got the light switches there without being able to see the light mm. um, you're only allowed to take one trip up to the room so you're only allowed to visit the room once yeah uh, how do you work out which switch controls the light do you get do you get the idea yeah i do get the idea i so don't know do okay. to, I, I love terrible. these i I'm love so these bad. What, what you need okay. to do is talk through all the options okay. yeah so there's three light switches. We're in we're in the room here upstairs in the pod central room. Yeah. There's a light that we can't see. Yeah. And basically we have to figure out Skypod. Skypod. The Skypod, thank you. We have to figure out which switch turns that light on and we're only allowed one trip up. Okay. Uh you you have to talk through it. So what happens if you flick well, switch A? If we flick switch A and we go up that doesn't really help because the, if the lights well if the lights on then we've won. Yeah. But, but if the lights not on then you've got no idea. Then it's you, you. Then it's either B or C, right? Yeah. Um, so this is what we're what we're hearing now is the inner workings of your minds yeah. turning over. Just the the sound of the engine, the the gears grinding. So if you flick switch B, so you've got a, basically we've got to flick two switches at the same time. I think no, you can't. You can you only like you can only do one switch. Oh, you can only do one switch at a time. Uh, you can't like flick A and C and then go up. Oh no no, you can yeah, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Okay, you can do whatever you want with the switches. Uh, yeah. Do you uh, want me to just tell you? Just no. tell us. Oh, right. I mean, I'm it's, sure it's, you could work it out eventually. No, but, um, I would never work it out. Oh, I would really? love to I work, but no I want to work it logic. out though. But it's, we might not have time. Here's what um, you do. All right. So you, f- you you turn off. You turn two of the switches on. For example, switch A and switch B. Okay, I was getting there. And you leave them on for a few minutes. Then you turn off switch B and leave switch A on. Then you run upstairs to the room. If the light is on, uh. it's switch A. If the light is off, then you feel the bulb, touch the bulb. If it's still warm or hot, mm. then switch B controls the light. If it's not warm, if the bulb is still cold, then it's switch C. That's oh, a, I would never have got that. See, oh, I, I literally I used would to never have got that. I love these things like so much. And I can't remember, there was one about eating a soup in a restaurant and you go to the toilet or something. I can't remember. There was, oh, there yeah. was a guy in an elevator like uh, that uses an umbrella. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, to be honest, we're going to have to do a whole other episode about riddles okay. Okay. at some point. Well, you should have set this up earlier. You should have had an episode sh- on riddles. Well, you know, I've got some others there, but no, this is we're doing the detective okay. story right. today. Okay. So let me just give you an introduction. I'll keep it short if, if I possibly can. Right. So last year I did a, 
couple of episodes in which I read through an online text adventure called Victorian Detective on a website called textadventures.co.uk. Mm. I read through the story, making decisions based on the evidence, trying to solve a murder mystery. The whole thing was written by this guy called Peter Carlson. Okay. Right? And you were playing it for yourself as you were recording yeah, the podcast. Yeah, I was reading through the story as I was recording it, making the decisions as I went along, okay. clicking my options and going okay. through the whole thing, right? Um, now, I didn't ask permission from Peter Carlson before reading out the story on the podcast. Uh-oh. Although I did make a point of giving credit to Peter, saying Peter Carlson wrote this and all credit goes to him. Then, the other day, I got an email from Peter Carlson Uh in my inbox. I've never been in touch with Peter Carlson before. I just read out the story on the podcast and then I got an email from him. Uh I was like, oh God, oh dear. And here's what it said. It said, Dear Luke, I'm the author of the Victorian detective game, which you read on podcast 338. You did a really good job. Thank you for picking my work to read. (laughs) (laughs) What a relief, Uh, Peter Carlson. I replied and I said, hi, Peter, you're the one you're the one who did the great job. Your story was excellent. I hope that it brought a bit more traffic to the site and that more people read your story. Would you mind if I did Victorian Detective 2 on my podcast as well? Oh, there's a sequel. Yeah, and and then he replied saying, thank you, I'm glad you enjoyed the game. That would be really great if you read Victorian Detective 2 as well. Great, we've got... Hurrah! Uh, uh, do we have... I mean, it's not the Endorsed. same cast. I mean, we don't have Robert Downey Jr. for this one, Jude Law wasn't yeah. available. No, it's it's Paul Taylor, Amber Minogue, and, and Luke Thompson. <laughs> um, so, naturally, I was very pleased to get this endorsement from Peter himself, and he's clearly... Hello, Peter. Hello, Peter Carlson. Is he English? Um, I've no idea, actually. He sounds like he could be English. He's clearly... Yeah. Or American. He's apparently quite happy for me to or be French. doing this. Um, so, um, let's do Victorian Detective 2. Okay. 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 Um, this one... Uh, this did, you, time, did, you, did you get it right in the, for the first one? Did you? Uh, yeah, I've, I solved the mystery. Okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, I didn't well, get everything good. right. Not everything, single step was right. Um, okay. So... Um, so, yeah, we're going to read through the story. Uh, we can discuss and explain our decisions one by one. The listeners can focus... The listeners can follow the whole thing as they listen, and they can even read along with the story by going to textadventures.co.uk and finding Victorian Detective 2. The link is on the page for this episode. Uh, and that can help you know everyone check out the words, the spelling, and all that stuff. And also, just play the game yourself, listeners, if, uh, if you think that we are making the wrong choices. Uh, remember, listeners, that we will be experiencing this story for the first time as we read it. So we've got no idea what's coming next or what happens at the end. In fact, I understand that there are multiple possible endings for the story. Uh, the game will also tell us if we're making good or bad choices along the way. Uh, it counts a score as you go. For example, if you, make, cool. if you make a good deduction, it says deduction reasoning success. If you make a, nice. a, a bad decision, it says deductive reasoning fail. And it gives you a plus or minus score for each decision. That's how Victorian Detective 1 worked. Okay. Um, and then, the, then at the end, you get a score which explains what kind of detective you are. For example, if you're like Sherlock or if you're like Sher-not. Okay. <laughs> Is that your play on words or was that Peter's? No, I, I came up with that one. Oh, yeah. no. Oh, mate, of course Sorry. he did. Sorry. <laughs> that is Thompson all over that what joke. What about the wine? Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so let's get started. Um, we've chosen our name. We, we are what, Taylor Thompson and Minogue or Thompson Taylor? It doesn't matter. We're Taylor Thompson and Minogue. Okay, then. Right, so... Uh, Amber, do you want to read the introduction okay. to, to Victorian Detective? You are a great detective living in Victorian London. 
your international monologue internal internal sorry i've got to get closer <laughs> your internal monologue will guide you by clicking on uh, will guide you by clicking on links in the body of text as you investigate a young girl's disappearance dum 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 your eidetic memory what's eidetic memory photo it's like photographic memory ah your eidetic memory is represented by your ability to reread all the story you've experienced your intensely fast analyzing ability is represented by your unlimited time between choices your vast knowledge is represented by the internet london needs you okay right so let's play victorian detective let's 2 play. this is cool okay then so i'm gonna i'm gonna read out this this first one so uh, victorian detective 2 by peter carlton london 1861 over the past six weeks, three girls have gone missing from their homes, vanished into nothingness. At each home, there's been a macabre, smiley face carved deep into the floor. Stop. What's macabre? It's, it's, uh, it's sinister, horrible, oh, okay. dark, C- creepy, sinister, a creepy and dark. smiley face. Okay. Yeah. There's, so at each home, there's been a, uh, I mean, it's this weird, really, but. weird yeah. yeah, some <laughs> a creepy, smiley face. A horrid emoticon. Has been carved deep into the floor, grinning up at family and investigators. Um, and so here we are at the Worthington Estate. Now, we need to give voices to the characters that appear in the story, okay? Right. Okay. And we need to, because we're going to share the reading as we go, we okay. need to uh, be consistent. Okay. So this is Mr. Worthington. This Mr. is the, 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 the father of the, the first girl who's, who's been gone missing. Okay, Henry and Worthington. You, you have to help me find her. So he's stressed out and posh. Okay, okay. stressed out and posh. You, you have to help me find her, cries Mr. Her- Henry Worthington, as you stand in his daughter's empty bedroom with your police partner, Mardler. Right. Morning light glows through the girl's window, warming the room. Worthington's 16-year-old daughter, Chloe Worthington, disappeared the past night, no more than 12 hours ago. She's a student at the elite St. Anthony's private school. Mr. Worthington hands you a photo of Chloe. She's, she's never run off before. Could she have been taken? Oh, there we go. I don't know who you are. <laughs> 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 I don't know why you've got my daughter. I think <laughs> I think for this, if Liam Neeson was involved, this is before the invention of mobile phones. So he'd have to like, can you imagine Liam Neeson writing a letter yeah. by hand? I don't, with a quill. I yeah. don't know who you are. I don't know why, you know. Anyway, <laughs> Worthington's 16 year old daughter disappeared, blah, blah, blah. So the room is in good order. The bed is made and the bookshelf is tidy. You wander the scene, looking through the wastebasket and closet for clues. So what do you think? asks Mr. Worthington anxiously. Now we can see on the screen that some of these words are clickable links. Mm-hmm. So what's uh, the first photo there? Just is that just London? This is just London. London, land and sea, London tan in it. Cool, blimey! Um, so we can click some of the things in the description there. So what, okay. first of all, what do you think? Any any thoughts at this stage? Well, if her bedroom's nice and tidy, yeah, that doesn't look like a, a kidnap. Or, but if she's got a, a macabre smiley face, that Scra- does scraped onto the floor. Well. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was funny. There's no mention of a of a smiley face carved onto the floorboards no. in this in this room. But it says in the in introduction, the it said that um, uh, in each home there's been carved deep into the floor. It doesn't say where. Yeah, Grin, grinning up at the family and investigators. So I assume that that uh, Chloe Worthington's bedroom also has a smiley face on the floor too. I would say a macabre smiley face would point to some sort of organised kidnapper who, if they've got time but to carve she, a smiley face, they might have time to make the bed. But maybe she uh, 
carved that herself and then went off by her own choice. Well, if the smiley face looks like all the other smiley faces... Well, yeah, it doesn't mm. say that it does, though. It just says that it's been... Yeah, but maybe it's, she mm. found it online. Maybe she. It, maybe it's a Snapchat Online? Online. It's Victorian London, mate. <laughs> okay. um, all right. Well, so do we have to click on these things? And we so, go well, let's, let's click so, on, so, on Bedmade. Amber, you, th- you think that the, the room is showing no signs of, of disturbance, so you don't think there's been a violent kidnapping or anything, which suggests what? to you that she's just... Uh, we've got two choices here, by the way. She, either she was kidnapped or she ran away by her own choice. If there's a macabre smiley face... It does suggest maybe a kidnap and three other girls missing. If there's not, it sounds but like there's no sign gone. of disturbance in the room. Anyway, let's okay. click on the the window, okay, and see what we find. So the window is open, and you notice many small scratches on the outer glass. A gentle breeze floats through. You look out of the window across the vast Worthington estate. The Worthingtons are one of the richest families in London. And thick ivy runs up the wall of the house. Mm. Thoughts? Um, the scratches are the scratches have got. I mean, on the outer glass. I mean, that could be anything. Mm-hmm. It could be the foxes. Ivy. It could be ivy. Um, thick foxes. I, I don't know. <laughs> Foxes. There's lots of foxes in London. Yeah, foxes. You know the way foxes always scratch on the glass of a of an upstairs window. <laughs> All right, I'm out of here. Thanks very much, guys. It's been a pleasure. Uh. No, but I mean, it could be wildlife. It could I, be I wildlife. Could, an yeah. owl, maybe an owl. Because oh, owls scratch on the window as well. <laughs> yeah, they might land. Upstairs window. Could be their cat as well. It's much more likely it's to be an owl cat. than a fox. It could be a cat. Okay. Could be a cat. Could be Let, any animal. Let's read but more. But the ivy means she could have climbed down. Right. The ivy suggests that people either have climbed up or she's climbed down or something like that. Well, it's, maybe, yeah, unless it's ground floor. And then, cause that I think it's same. upstairs. <laughs> anyway, all right, let's yeah. let's investigate more of the room. Uh, we've got the, the photo of Chloe. Yeah. yeah. Let's have a look at that. So the photo shows a teenage girl in a spotted dress. She has a beaming smile and curly blonde hair. There's a small gold bracelet on her thin wrist. That's her favourite dress, says Mr. Worthington. We got it for her a few months ago, and she wears it all the time. Tears well up in his eyes mm. as he speaks. It's always, you know, it's always the, the father. You think it, or, the, or the husband. You think it's Mr. Worthington? It usually is. Yeah, okay. The gold bracelet could be the scratch. All yeah. right, yeah, maybe the gold bracelet scratched no, the window. Uh, no, because gold doesn't scratch glass, but diamond does. Ah, Mm. Okay, knowledge of, yeah. of precious metals and, and uh, stones. Um, okay, let's check out the bed. Uh, Chloe's bed is made with soft silk sheets and plump pillows. Something catches your eye and you crouch down to look under the bed. There's a single rose petal lost underneath the, the bed. Uh, the petal looks no more than a week old, judging by how much it has wilted. So a rose petal in the bedroom, like a mm-hmm. fresh rose petal. What do you think? Boyfriend. Yeah. Suggests some sort of romantic encounter. It does. At the window, maybe. Maybe the boyfriend's come into the Bit room. of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Yeah. Action. Okay. So maybe she's run off with a boyfriend, a romantic boyfriend. Okay. Uh-huh. Let's investigate a little bit more. Um, and uh, there's a waste basket. Wait, bookshelf, bookshelf. Book- bookshelf. Uh, dozens of prestige books about language and art fill the bookshelf. All the books are in mint condition, except for one uh, book which is sticking out at Chloe's eyesight. The book is titled Love of the Sea. 
You pull out, you pull the worn book off the shelf and examine it. As you flip the book open, a small note slides out and floats down to the floor. Someone has written on the inside of the front cover of the book in faded black ink. Okay, let's have a look at the note then. It says, oh. Joseph, I hope you enjoy... This is, this is what's written on the inside of the book. This is not the note. Oh, okay. Joseph, I hope you enjoyed this book as much as I did when I was your age. Buon compleanno. Can you read that? Italian. Happy birthday. Italian. Happy birthday in Italian. Zio, Zio Antonio. Because all Italian people speak, speak like it is. Zio Antonio. Uncle Antonio. Is that Uncle Antonio? I think Zio yeah, is yeah. uncle. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So we, let's read, what's the, what's Joseph. The, so it was to Joseph from his uncle. Mm-hmm. So that's book that maybe has been given to Chloe by the boyfriend. Ah, so maybe Joseph is the boyfriend. Maybe Joseph is the boyfriend, is, ah. and this is a book that he he likes, okay. and he's lent it to his and it's the love lady of the love. S- love of the sea. Uh, mm. Okay, yeah. let's check the small note. Uh, the note is wrapped in a makeshift envelope made from an issue of the London Analyst, an uncommon London newspaper. You pull the note out and read it. Chloe, how I love thee. You bring light to my day as I watch you from my stand. Your beauty infinite as you walk home, seeming to glide on the air, weightless and eternal. The thought of you brings art and beauty to my life. We are on opposite ends of society, yet we are destined for each other. With love, exactly Joseph. Exactly, Romeo and Juliet. Amber's got it, nailed it, nailed the story here. But he sounds like a stalker. He's like the <laughs> newspaper dude, stalker. <laughs> does, he, I, does he sound Italian? It's very romantic. No, he's not Italian. Oh, but he might be half Italian. I'm generalising. But Giuseppe would be the, uh, the Italian name. For her, jo- her, Joseph. Okay. Joseph. I'm, okay. I'm, that's as much, guess as much as you'll get out of me for this one. Wow, okay. I'm generalising okay. about Italians by suggesting they're all romantic there. So Chloe's got some romantic admirer. Mm. Um, okay. Okay, then. Called Joseph. A poor romantic admirer. Poor romantic admirer who, what's, he works on a stand? Newspaper stand. Okay. If right, it's then. an unusual newspaper that he's wrapped it up in. There's a hell of a lot of evidence to look at here in the, waste in, the, in the bedroom. Let's have a look at the wastebasket. You find a copy of the London Analyst, right. uh, which is the, the paper that was used for writing that note, an uncommon local newspaper, in Chloe's wastebasket. It's folded in the shape of a cone, like an ice cream cone, and there's a small rose petal stuck to the page. Okay, so Joseph brought the flowers in his newspaper... Uh, and that's why there's petals. So Joseph works in a newspaper stand, uh, and he obviously wraps. Does he? Up is that? Did, did it say that? That's what you said, isn't it, Amber? Well, he said stand. I look at you from my stand. So oh. he's in the newspaper and the unusual mean? newspaper because no one's bought it. So he's got yep. plenty of those knocking about. Okay. And to use as a wrapping paper. This sounds All good right. so far. So he loves Chloe, and he's maybe trying to persuade her to to run away with him or something like that. Okay, and in the closet, in let's have a look inside the closet. Chloe's closet is full of beautiful clothes, but you notice that her spotted dress is missing. We missed out the bed. Did we miss the bed? Oh no, did we look under the bed? We looked did under we? the bed and we found the rose petal there. Yes. So what okay. do you think? Was she kidnapped or did she run away, uh, you know, by her own choice? Go back to the photo of Chloe for a second. It shows a teenage girl in a spotted dress. She has a beaming smile and curly blonde hair. There's a small gold bracelet on her thin wrist. Um, and Mr. Worthington mm. says that's her favourite dress. Uh, she wears it all the time. So this is the spotted dress that mm. she loves wearing. Uh, okay. To me, if, if, if it was a kidnapping, she wouldn't have worn her favourite dress. Or she wears it all the time, I suppose. So she might have just been wearing the dress anyway. Well, the only thing that doesn't point to it being um, a kid. 
there's nothing that says kidnapping at all unless there's a macabre smiley. Without a macabre smiley, which is not mentioned here, it looks like she's popped off maybe she's a bit young 16 victorian london to pop off with like an unknown um newspaper boy but why not can you go back up to the top there to the original um uh, keep going top yeah oh goodness there's, there's, we've been through so much stuff that there's a lot oh, it now keeps... we've got to make a decision right now come on we've, uh, got, to, we've got to keep moving this off by our own forward. choice by our own choice all right I, well done. One, yeah. Plus one for deductive reasoning. Uh, Chloe ran off by her own choice, we think. Uh, ran away, but what? No, I'm not going to do this one. Uh, Paul, it's your turn okay. now. Okay. Ran away, but why? Asked Mr. Worthington. Uh, uh, um, this one's going to be a Spanish detective. <laughs> what? Make it French. Make it French. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is us. Yeah. Now we can't us. change the voice of us. Oh, okay. Just, okay. Just, all right. All right. Just okay, good. Okay. Just be your normal voice. Well, she had a secret romance with an admirer. You sp- uh, we respond. Yeah. Uh, small scratches on the window from rocks. From rocks. How do we know it's from rocks? Well, because he's sending them up the window. Yeah, too. all right. But now we've, he's adding well, details. Well, it's not a fox, is it? Don't ask too many questions. <laughs> all right, where's just, the fox? Just where's just the owl? <laughs> all right, from rocks. Points to the admirer coming here often. Rose petals in the trash and under the bed were undoubtedly gifts from the admirer. Uh, and the fact that Chloe's favourite dress is missing makes me think that she took it with her when she left. There's no sign of a struggle whatsoever. So who's the admirer? <laughs> Asked Mr. Worthington. Who's the, admi- who's the admirer? Yeah. Joseph or Giuseppe, uh, mm-hmm. you say, as uh, we reveal the, the tattered book and love letter that were on Chloe's bookshelf. He must have given this to Chloe as a gift after it was previously given to him by his uncle. You explain that Joseph is most likely... A paperboy. A classmate... <laughs> Or a flower salesman. These are the three options. A flower salesman, a classmate, or a paperboy. A a, a flower salesman might have a stand. Yes. Yeah. A classmate, definitely not. And a paperboy, maybe, because it's an unusual newspaper. Paperboy or salesman? It's an unusual newspaper. I wonder if, because uh, he's a little bit poorer, Mm -hmm. whether his family get a... uh, like a subsidy from the government or something? No, like they get the the, 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 the not very good newspaper. Uh-huh. Uh, so he, his family get the unusual newspaper, and that's the only newspaper he's got lying around. Mm. So, But that's how he... Maybe they always wrap nah. uh, the flowers, because he could be a flower salesman. Mm-hmm. All right, but he's, uh, not, he's definitely not the classmate, because um, he, he's, he's, not, he's not rich enough to no. go to such an exclusive no. <laughs> school. Uh, the, the, the point here is that um, um, w- w- we think that... Uh, she's run off with this admirer, Joseph. We just want to know who he is. Paperboy or, or flower salesman? Why do you think paperboy? Just because he used just the paper to write the note, didn't he? And right. the flowers were wrapped up in a copy of this paper. Right. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's either flowers or paper. We need to I, I reckon he bought her a flower and I think he's a paperboy. I, uh, I reckon he's a flower salesman because if he's poor, he might not be able to afford the flowers, but if he, he can probably more afford the newspaper to wrap up the flowers that he's stealing from his shop rather than buy flowers. Are you convinced? No, but I mean, either's good for me. I believe Paperboy. I'm going to go with Amber here, Paperboy. Oh, we got it. Deductive reasoning uh, plus one. Um, And uh, Paul? Uh, Yeah, he made a bouquet, uh, an envelope out of the London Analyst, an uncommon newspaper, you say. He also refers to a stand in the love letter, most likely his paper stand, which is what Amber said earlier on. 
Perhaps, uh, perhaps he's a fellow student at St. Anthony's School, says Mr. Worthington. Uh, doubtful, uh, we respond. He mentioned that Chloe and himself are on opposite ends of society, and the condition of the hand-me-down book confirms that he's no wealthy man. Uh, so I don't think he goes to the same expensive private school which we talked about. He probably runs his paper stand outside and watches Chloe walk by. Stalker. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. Uh, Amber, your turn. Uh, St. Anthony's Private School. You and Mardler travel a few blocks Who's across... Mardler? Mardler he's, is our, the... he's our partner. Oh. oh, yeah. A few blocks across London and arrive at St. Anthony's Private School. You inquire with the, with local with locals about a boy named Joseph selling copies of the London Analyst on the outskirts of the campus. Mardler bumps into a wandering homeless man, begging for change. He's a war veteran, wearing a large baggy coat and missing his right arm. Mardler tosses him a couple of pence that the man eyes eagerly. There's a group of miscreant boys throwing stones at, a, at stray dogs in an alleyway, causing trouble in the neighbourhood and being shooed away by f- uh, faculty of the school. They crash into Mardler as they run away laughing. Uh, how, this Mardler, how does he speak? I don't know. I think he should be a cockney. Get out of here, you vagrants, shouts Mardler in frustration. London is alive and pulsing. Uh, I wish I had some sort of description of Joseph, says Mardler. You tell him that Joseph is almost definitely Italian. Wow. Or French or Irish. These are the options. Either he's Italian or French or Irish. Can we just check out The Wandering Homeless Man? Just it because... was written in bloody Italian. Yeah, it's, okay. it'll be Italian, but we need it to... It was written in bloody Italian. It was written in bloody Italian, wasn't it? You went all, you went all Cockney there. <laughs> but The Wandering Homeless Man is obviously... Okay, we've got a clue. We've got a clue. Right, so, so remember that the, my audience can't nec- don't necessarily have what we're looking at, so we need to make it really clear. There is a... Uh, in the text, it says Wandering Homeless Man... We can click on that. So let's see what this wandering homeless man says. He says, uh, Amber? He says, uh, lost my arm in Berlin against Napoleon. He lost his arm in Berlin. Yeah. Says, the man sadly, says the man sadly, hungry for more money. Change. So he's a one-armed man. Okay, okay. so the homeless man who bumped into Mardler, right? This 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 homeless man bumped into Mardler and looking for money. He's a war veteran. Apparently, he lost his arm uh, fighting in the Napoleonic Wars. Mm. Yeah. Okay, then. So is this is this kid Joseph Italian, French, or Irish? Well, I mean, it we t- think he's Italian. Don't What's we? the only it's clues that we've got? Italian. I mean, Joseph's a bit Irish, but I mean, and his so uncle can be French as well, Joseph. Yeah, but his uncle is Italian because Re- he wrote in Italian. Remember the evidence? Yes, his uncle is Italian. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I would go for Italian unless it's a right, trick question. Let's, let's do Italian. Hey, we don't have too much time to, you know, uh, keep uh, thinking about these things. We need to just keep moving. Got to keep moving. Um, so uh, plus one for deductive reasoning, um, Amber. Uh, in the hand-me-down book, Love of the Sea, Joseph's uncle wrote Buono Compleanno, which is Italian for happy birthday. He also signed it Zio Antonio instead of Uncle Antonio. If Joseph isn't Italian, at least his uncle is, you explain. Mardler nods his head in comprehension. So we all nod our heads. Mm. Yes, we understand. Mm. Oh, yes, yeah, we understand. We understand. Okay, so it's back to me again. Uh, continue. Finally, someone cooperates with your inquiries, sort of. A large man, the local butcher, confronts you. He wipes the sweat off his brow and coughs up a thick glob of mucus. (coughs) Yeah, I know, Joseph, he growls. I'll tell you where he lives if you help me out. There's a pickpocket in the neighbourhood, but I can't pinpoint who, uh, who it is. He's been robbing all of us. You're police, right? Do some investigating and find out who it is. 
So there's a pickpocket who's been robbing people, and this uh, butcher is going to help us if we can find out who the pickpocket is. Now, the homeless man was did have a watch. He did have a pocket watch, which was a bit... Did he? Yeah, go back up to the photo. The homeless man's got a pocket watch. Yeah. Oh, yes, I see that. Yeah. Uh, mm. But that's the only reason why I would say that the homeless man, because we've got the homeless veteran, the miss... The miscreant, miscreant boys. Miscreant boys are these boys playing around in the in the alleyway. Yeah, and who were they trying to? Who were they making fun of? They were throwing stones at someone, at weren't dogs. they? Dogs. Throwing stones at some dogs. Okay. It's the school faculty. Those the staff who work in the school. Unlikely, right? Mm. And simply, we don't have time for this. Well, he's going to let us know where Joseph lives, so we have we got time for. Totally it. got time for this. Now, but don't the boys bump into someone? No, it was the homeless man with one arm that bumped into Mardler. Um, and you know, if someone bumps into you in the streets, they're obviously a pickpocket. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's and he does homeless. have a watch. Yeah. And he's got a watch. Although yeah. he's only got one arm. It's it's uh it's probably fake. It's probably it's probably just a scam. He's ah. hiding hiding his arm and using it to steal people's God, stuff. That filthy um, tea leaf. Got yeah. him. Thief. He's a thief. Right. The homeless veteran. Yes. Crushing it. Absolutely. It's the homeless veteran. Old Georgie clarifies the butcher in disbelief. No, it can't be. Mardler looks at you doubtfully as well. The whole story about losing his arm in a battle is a ruse to catch his victims off guard, you say. He has a pocket watch in his right pocket, yet he, well, claims, yet he claims to be missing his right arm. The arm is undoubtedly hidden underneath <laughs> his baggy clothes. <laughs> Plus, Napoleon never fought in Berlin, the battle where he supposedly was wounded. The butcher sighs, wiping off another armful of sweat from his forehead. I would never have guessed it was him, but if what you're saying is true, then he's been playing us like fools. The butcher points you towards Joseph's residence on Barker Street a few minutes up the road. So now we're going to go to Barker Street where this guy Joseph lives. Okay, so here we are in Barker Street, uh, Paul. You and Mardler follow the butcher's instructions and arrive at Joseph's small apartment on Barker Street. The neighbourhood is run down and ridden with poverty. Collapsed beggars and drunks are near, nearly hit by a large coffin carrying carriage. Uh, as children, oh, sorry, hit by a large coffin carrying carriage. So this, where, yeah, uh, as children run up to you and ask you for spare change in exchange for newspapers and trinkets. What are trinkets? Little, oh, little, little bits, things, almost yeah. certainly stolen. So we, we've just arrived in this poverty-stricken street and there's a, a carriage carrying a coffin, like a kind of hearse, moving through the street, which you know almost hits some of the people who are lying around sort of homeless in the street mm. and there are all these kids begging for money and, and anything that they can t- get from you. All right. This is a distressed part of town, heavily contrasting with the Worthington's estate. You could prosecute... Uh, dozens of these petty criminals selling moonshine and cannabis, but you remember the old saying, hitting dirt with a stick only causes it to spread. Uh, Mardler motions towards Joseph's door handle, uh, and the two of you approach. You've al- you'd already noticed that it was broken and disfigured. Home invasion? So we've, we're just approaching Joseph's door handle, and it's broken and sort of damaged. Maybe someone's broken into the broken into his house. That's what we're thinking. Yeah. Mm. Okay. All right. What a what a uh, grim scene of poverty this street is. Indeed. Oh, it's, it, this is Victorian London. So chapter one is complete, um, and we got one hundred percent from chapter one. Excellent. Good job, what, right? Uh, how many chapters Good are job. there? In this thing? Uh, I don't know how many chapters there are. <laughs> hundred. <laughs> Not too many, I hope. Uh, Mardler pushes open the broken door and looks into the poorly lit apartment. 
you see a young Italian man sprawled on the floor. How do we know he's Italian? Uh, he's wearing a flag. It's he's yeah. got he's got there's a there's it's a pasta. There's a badge on his jacket that the says I am an Italian man. Yeah. Or the blood <laughs> trickling down the back of his head is uh is in reality just a tomato sauce. Yeah. I was, I thought you were going to say the blood trickling down is red, white, white and, and green. green. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you see a young Italian man sprawled on the floor face down, blood trickling down the back of his head. Uh-oh. Uh maybe it's tomato sauce, but it's probably blood. That's not written in the story. Mardler rushes over to the man shaking him and talk and taking his pulse. Joseph, Joseph, are you Joseph? What happened? He said in a cockney accent. <laughs> The man slowly opens his eyes and rubs the back of his head in discomfort. He sits up and glances down at his palm, eyeing the sticky, hot blood that leaked out of his skull. Uh, he's Italian, right? Right? Where's Chloe? He coughs through the pain. <coughs> Where's where is Chloe? I can't do an Italian accent. <laughs> where is Chloe? Yeah, you, you're you're Joseph. You right? could be Joseph. Okay, right. Where is Chloe? Uh, we're going to ask you this. We were going to ask you the same thing, you say. Joseph, correct? Uh, yes. Says the young man, slowly coming back to full consciousness. Joseph Crespo. <laughs> <laughs> what happened here? Asks Mardler. Well, uh, I was here with my girl. Uh, then I heard someone at the door. He says. Before I could even get a glance through the people, uh, Someone bashed right through the door. It was a big guy wearing a mask made of a, a, a burlap sack. Is he Welsh or Italian? <laughs> that sounded a bit <laughs> Welsh. <laughs> burlap sack. We scuffled for a minute, uh, but Welsh. he was unnaturally strong. He caught me in the back of the head with something hard. A hammer or something. Uh, that's all I remember. Can, can he be Welsh? Because I do he like can, that. Let's make him can Welsh. Can he be Welsh? Yeah. Okay, he's Welsh. Sort of Italian Welsh. All right, so the point is that, what, that, that Joseph was, was there with his girl and there was someone at the door and uh, before he could find out who it was, they the person the door smashed down. through the door. It was a big guy in a mask uh, made of sack and they had a fight and he was really strong. He caught me in the back of the head with something hard like a hammer and that's all I remember. Uh, can we do the click on the but scuffle for a minute? We, we scuffled for a minute. We scuffled it's for a minute. So let's find out about the fight that they had there. There are red marks on Joseph's arms beginning to form. So there's got like some wounds on his arms uh-huh. from the fight. The colour of blood leaking from damaged capillaries under the skin. Soon he'll have bruises and they'll look like they were inflicted while he was defending himself. You also notice a hole in the wall five feet and eight inches above the door. It looks like it was just created judging by dust formation and, and stuff like that. So there's a, a, a hole in the wall that it's, that it's okay, fresh. that looks like it could be uh, the hammer, that, the bludgeoning, by the, the bludgeoning weapon. The yeah, weapon okay. may have caused Perhaps. this hole in the, okay. in the wall. Okay, then. Mm. Uh, all right. Um, so Joseph looks around, growing increasingly more concerned. Uh, where is Chloe? No, sorry. Uh, where is Chloe? Yeah. In, in, in this in increasingly uh, non-specific accent. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> Amber, do you want to carry on? Uh, what do you make of this? What do you make of this? What do yeah. you make of this? Asked Smadler in a hushed tone. Is this some elaborate ploy being executed by Joseph to throw us off Chloe Worthington's location? Well, the wound on the back of his head is legitimate, you say. He did some serious damage to himself if this really is some diversion. He also didn't know when we were arriving, so his timing would have had to would had would have had to be very lucky. Sorry. It's possible that Chloe did this to him and ran away as well. Mm. 
You bite your fingernail in thought. You go outside and ask Joseph's neighbour if they saw or heard anything. I'll stay in here and investigate. Right, what the hell's going on? Uh, so we're, we're wondering... Uh, Either Joseph's done this to himself or Chloe could have smashed him around the head because he tried to do something with her. Uh, and, um, or someone else did it. Or so someone else. Joseph did it to himself, seems unlikely. Chloe did it, possible. Five for eight is not that high. Yeah. Because if you were like hitting something, you might go... So you think Chloe maybe attacked Joseph to, yeah. to escape? Maybe. Uh, or third option, there is a big strong man who really did hit him over the head with yes. a hammer. And he may have kidnapped Chloe. Yes. Uh, we need Liam Neeson, definitely. You start looking for clues in the small apartment, trying pe- trying peace, trying, trying to, to piece. it's missing a two, trying to piece together what happened here a few minutes earlier. You walk across a dirty room and catch a faint yet sweet alcoholic smell. You also pick up the smell of sawdust and formaldehyde. On the ground, you see Ooh. a few long curly blonde hairs, Chloe Worthington's. Beside the hairs, you see a grim smiley face carved deep into the floorboard. There's the smiley face. What? Uh, what's going on? Joseph? Uh, what is going on? Ask, ask Joseph, still dazed and losing his Italian He's got dual nationality. He's got dual citizenship. <laughs> dual, okay? dual Welsh and Italian. What's your opinion of the situation? So we've got three options. Joseph is telling the truth. Romeo and Juliet gone horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a scheme planned by Joseph and Chloe to run away together. Mm. Chloe changed her mind, attacked Joseph and ran away. But there's more clues to be found. We can click on faint yet sweet alcoholic smell. Yes. Yeah. So just to, just to recap, it's either Joseph is right and some third person came in and, and attacked him and, and took... Uh, Why is uh, it Romeo and Juliet gone horribly well, wrong? Well, because I guess they went together, but then, yeah, okay. And then she gets kidnapped. I mean, jo- Romeo and Juliet... Does go horribly wrong. Does go horribly wrong. wrong so it that's does... Yeah. <laughs> so it means that it's a success. You could say Romeo and Juliet gone horribly wrong, but earlier than it normally does. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, because... In a sort of different manner. Okay. Yeah. So it's either that, it's a scheme played by Joseph and Chloe to run away together. There's no way. That's weird. I don't Or I that. think it's either one or three. So well, wait a minute. One is that. Uh, one is that. Uh, Joseph's some... telling the truth. Joseph's telling a the truth. A big man with a bag. Three is that Chloe did this to Joseph and then ran away. Or two is that this is somehow. As, and the whole thing planned by Joseph and Chloe as a way of running away together, but it doesn't seem to be a good idea. No. Sounds rubbish. I have a question. What is formaldehyde? Formaldehyde is used to pre- like in um, embalming oh, stuff, okay. you know, mm-hmm. um, or, or like keeping stuff, you know, in the jars. Yeah. When you go to science labs and there's brains and stuff okay. in jars, if that's kept to, in formaldehyde. Okay. All right. To preserve like an organ from a person's body in a okay. jar, you'd keep it in formaldehyde. Okay. So, okay, let's, let's investigate some stuff. What about this faint yet sweet alcoholic smell that we can sense in the air? And it says someone used chloroform here recently. Okay. Chloroform is that stuff. It's like yeah. a liquid chemical that gets put onto a piece of tissue paper or a, a, a handkerchief and is held over someone's mouth until they pass out. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, your simple, uh, you know, um, simple solution to a kidnapping. You know, yep. if you need to kidnap someone, get some chloroform, hold it over their face until they pass out. That's what I use. Yep. Is that what you use? Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, me too. Everyone everyone uses mm. chloroform, don't Safe they? bet. So it's uh, smiley face. Let's, smiley have face. A look, let's have a look at the smiley face. Is this a copycat or is Chloe's disappearance related to the three abductions that happened over the past six weeks? So Chloe's number four. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay then. Uh, so what do you think? Is I mean, it's got to be number one. Yeah, completely agree. He's telling the truth. Yeah, it's yeah. Too, because it's too weird. Like, they planned I mean, this ooh. together. Mental. Chloe changed her mind and attacked Joseph. No. Because it could be... 
I mean, the other option, and this is a bit of a stretch. I still think it's number one, but it, the 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 way that it it could be throwing us off in the fact that Joseph like got Chloe to come round to to his place, and he tried to chloroform her. And tried to, like, he had some embalming fluid to do whatever. And then she saw that this was going to happen. And then she batted him over the head uh, mm. and then legged it. But why would Joseph suddenly change and become a psycho? Well, because maybe he is the psycho. Maybe he does this to every girl. Maybe he's always the one. Maybe he... Maybe he's di- caught three girls disappear. It didn't, I don't remember it saying how, how Chloe, often... If Chloe had run away, so if she'd attacked Joseph and run away, she'd have gone home. Right. Yeah. So she wouldn't be missing Good anymore. Point. She'd she would have gone, gone straight home because she's only sixteen. She's not from Good this point. part of town. Yeah. Maybe gone, she doesn't have to get you'd home. Hot footed yeah. it back to home. So basically, either uh, Joseph is telling the truth, and, and why would there be a floorboard? Well, or the smiley face. Sorry, the smiley face could be. Could, and it, to go keep going with my potential, mm. maybe not theory. He might have known that this was. Uh, that he was going to do this and so he carved the smiley face yeah, but why would could... he do it at his own house that's the thing yeah yeah. you wouldn't do it at your own house would you the smiley no, face especially if you've done the smiley face if you're the culprit and you've done it at other people's houses why would you then do it why would you ruin your own floorboards nah okay so I think it's still usually that kind of thing like a calling card for a serial killer or something you know is usually done at the scene of the crime and it's usually done um, anonymously, right? You wouldn't do it mm. at your own house. Mm. And, and if Unless you're practising, trying to like... <laughs> yeah. yeah, like the way you get your signature. You, yeah. you practise yeah. your signature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. potentially. So you could like get it done nice and quick. Potentially. So like you'd investigate Joseph's house and there's smiley faces everywhere because he's been practising. Yeah, now, right, th- let's go with Joseph telling the truth. Joseph's telling the truth, okay then. Yes, deductive reasoning plus one. Uh, so we just gained a point. Who abducted Chloe? Who abducted Chloe Worthington, and why? Uh, does anyone have? A- uh, does anybody have a? No, gonna- no, 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 no. no, no. Sorry. You ask Joseph. Sorry, Sorry. I thought it said uh, Joseph asked. Yeah. Does anybody have a grudge against you? You ask Joseph. Maybe Chloe was just caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. She could be collateral damage from an attack on Joseph. No. Says Joseph. No, I don't think so. The kidnapper didn't leave much behind. Uh, You walk to the back of the apartment and feel a steady breeze floating in through a widely open window. This was probably the kidnapper's exit route into a deserted alley. You try to put the pieces together. So, number one, the kidnap. Here are some possibilities. Uh, First of all, the kidnapper breaks in and fights Joseph, knocking him out with a blunt weapon. Then the kidnapper drugs Chloe with chloroform and thirdly the kidnapper leaves through the window but he couldn't carry Chloe for long without raising suspicion unless he put her in a hearse unless he put her in a hearse which we saw the the carriage with the coffin yeah Uh, yeah so maybe he escaped and Amber's on it I'm on it yeah always the always the cleverest um Amber do you want to read this bit Mardler re-enters Joseph's apartment Locals are very cooperative, as expected, he says. Police aren't especially adored in this part of town. A few people agreed they heard a woman scream from this general area about 15 to 20 minutes ago, yeah. and that's not uncommon in these parts, so they paid little attention. It's the hearse. You mentally review the evidence, your encyclopedic mind whirring through a multitude of theories. If that was Chloe's scream, we barely missed her. We haven't been here longer than six minutes. It 
if we act fast, we can find him. Oh, hold on. If we act fast, we can find him, says Mulder. <laughs> How far can he have gone? Uh, he didn't. How did he leave undetected? How did he avoid a rising suspicion? So, Paul, what's going on? So basically, uh, she's 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 gone very not long ago, very not long ago. That's good. <laughs> it's, good it's good enough. Good enough. Not long ago, uh, she disappeared. So, um, we if we go quickly, we'll find him. And the options uh, that we've got now is the kidnapper went to a nearby house or apartment staying off the streets. The kidnapper jumped into the carriage as his getaway vehicle. Uh, the kidnapped the kidnapper is still here. So, so wait a minute. The kidnapper went to a nearby house or apartment staying off the streets. Or he jumped into a carriage as his getaway vehicle. Maybe the carriage with the coffin that we yes. saw, the hearse that we saw earlier. Or the kidnapper is still here in the room now. I'm going to go uh, with Amber on this. Yeah. The kidnapper. Um, I like the uh, hearse. Jumped in the hearse, yeah. So the kidnapper jumped into a carriage as his getaway vehicle. We think it's the hearse carrying the coffin. Maybe yeah. Chloe was in the coffin. Let's yeah. click on it. Oh, yeah, we're good. Excellent. But what carriage? Either it was a carpentry supply, so a wood seller, or it was the hearse, or it was Mr. Worthington's carriage. It was the hearse. It was, hearse. It was and, and I think it's trying to throw us off because there was wood chippings. There was wood chippings on the floor, uh, but that's not important evidence. No. So it's clearly the hearse. Yes, of course. Brilliant. We get it right again. Brilliant. Bloody hell, we're good at this. Hey. All right. So um, I'm going to uh, I'm going read through this one. So uh, I, I got it, you say to Mardler, your mind buzzing. Mardler and Joseph, listen anxiously for your theory. We're looking for someone that escaped in their own carriage minutes ago. Whoever did this doesn't live near here because this crime is too obviously directed towards Chloe. If the kidnapper was after Joseph but they were surprised by Chloe's presence. Why kidnap her? So obviously the kidnapper was looking for Chloe. Yep. The kidnapper was wearing a mask, so he could have run off without Chloe being a problem. The kidnapper has been studying Chloe and was there the night she left with Joseph, watching from the distance. That's the only way he would know to strike at this location. So the kidnapper's been planning this. Yeah. Uh, the recent presence of sawdust and formaldehyde left lingering odours. So the kidnapper probably works with wood, judging by the sawdust and the use of a hammer or similar tool in his attack. He's a strong man, so he could plausibly have done that. Huh? So he could plausibly have done a job that requires manual labour and heavy lifting. But what of the formaldehyde? Formaldehyde is often used as a preservative to keep dead bodies from decomposing mm. before funerals. I'd gamble the kidnapper works with a mortuary. A mortuary. Let's uh, just mortuary is the easier a way. Morgue. To, yeah, a mortuary. Uh, building coffins and using formaldehyde. The pallbearer. Yeah. Or, uh, uh, no, what's the mortuary? Uh, no. Yeah. Well, he's making the coffins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah right, cool. Grave. Digger, maybe. Um, we saw a coffin carriage when we arrived. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Mardler's eyes grow wide. We saw a coffin carrying carriage when we arrived. Hurry up, Mardler. We've, we've already worked that out. Yeah. Exactly, you say. What a strange sight to see a carriage in this neighborhood at all. No one would ever detour through here unless they had business. The passing of that carriage matches with the timing of witnesses claiming to hear a scream. We need to find that driver. Joseph scratches his chin and gives you a quizzical look. Uh, you're, this is Joseph. Ah, uh, you're making a judgment call uh, <laughs> on this kidnapping based on how the room smells. 
Well, I wonder when jo- Joseph's going to leave this story. <laughs> <laughs> Never. This, this, Itali- this, this stereotypical Italian <laughs> accent is uh, oh, it's great. It's wonderful. It's brilliant. It makes yeah. people laugh. It's fantastic. Okay. Uh, it's all we have to work with for now, you respond. We're going to need to visit some mortuaries. Paul. So we're now uh, at we're at the Walker Mortuary. <clears throat> That's the one. <laughs> Walker Mortuary. <sighs> yeah, ironically that no one's walking there, are they? Because they're all dead. <laughs> yeah. They're not walking. <laughs> they're not walking. The ironic <laughs> the the I- bad as the Russian joke. Oh. <laughs> anyway. If you don't know what the Russian joke is, people, uh, just just Wikipedia it. All right, that's the one you say as you point to the large black carriage outside the mortuary. That's definitely the carriage that went past us on Barker Street. (sighs) Three hours had passed since you left Joseph's house with Mardler and began investigating all the nearby mortuaries. Finally, you stumbled upon Walker's mortuary and identified the vehicle that you'd seen earlier that day. Who drives this carriage? You ask Henry Walker, the owner of the establishment. (laughs) Um, Cade. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, what accent are we doing for this? Oh. Uh, I'll, he's Scottish. Henry Walker. Walker. Okay. Scottish. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Scottish. 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 Kid is the one that takes the car boat. Sorry, what was that? <laughs> that was kid, good. Kid, that wasn't too bad. Kid is the kid's the one that takes the car boat. Replied the owner uh, as he rubs his dirty glasses with a dirty handkerchief. Kid Brewer. I didn't even realise he was ever gone. He must have left it and brought back with me. He must have what? He must have <laughs> left it and brought it back without me noticing. Uh, uh, what can you tell me about Cade Brewer, you ask? Walker shrugs. Ah, not much to tell, he admits. Uh, Cade's always been a loner, never talking to us or nothing. <laughs> he came here one day looking for work, so I, told, so I took him in. Seemed like a drifter. Uh, said something about losing his old job, so he wanted a position here. He's a big fella, a little taller than six feet, I guess. Short, black hair, dark eyes. Uh, the man leans in close and speaks in a muted tone. To be frank, he's always given me the creeps, lumbering around and acting all quiet. It's like he's relates. It's like he relates more to dead than the living. Creepy. Mardler looks over you and sighs. So you got no idea where Kade is now. <laughs> Where could you Where's be? He? Where could he be? Ask your partner. Mardler's turned into David Beckham. Yeah, I'm, Walker's, I'm liking it. Walker scratches the back of his head. Not the faintest, but feel free to look through his locker and carriage. Right, mm. Amber, what the hell's going on? Uh, well, Mard... <laughs> so that was right. <laughs> the detectives, Mardler and us, have gone and after three hours searching and finally found the mortuary and they've recognised the hearse or the carriage as they're calling it yeah. uh, which was present on Barker Street mm-hmm. they speak to the owner a Scottish man um, who says that the only person that drives that carriage is Cade who is a bit of a strange type bit of a strange quiet loner big man um, yeah. big man strange creepy guy yeah uh, yeah a bit quiet loner Loner. It's yep. obviously Cade is the, the, the attacker right well he mentions he's over six foot and our damage in our flat was five foot eight not well, that that makes yeah. a difference. Well, maybe she was five foot eight. Maybe he swung Could to hit like her this. over the head, but he accidentally hit Joseph because Joseph jumped in front of her. You don't necessarily hit a hammer at at, at head height, do you? You'd, you'd hit the hammer exactly. At, like it might a, have, at shoulder well, height. Head exactly. height is difficult it, for French people to say, isn't it? It's it possible. It's all possible. Just saying. It, so it could be definitely him then if he's six foot and five mm. foot eight was the... Uh, 
Okay. The impact. All right. Mm. All right, then. So let's keep going. And uh, here we go. So you start rifling through Cade Brewer's locker, like looking through all of his stuff quickly. We're rifling through his locker, uh, though there's not much to see. The small space is nearly empty, except for an old shirt and a small jar near the back. I think we will be looking at the shirt and the jar. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, You take a look at the carriage and investigate the coffins in the back. I say we stay here a while. No, this is Mardler. I say we stay here a while and see if Brewer comes back. Although he says Mardler. Yeah. You still you still think he's our guy? Definitely, you say. All right, so let's investigate this, okay. this situation. Let's look at Cade's old shirt. You take a look at Cade Brewer's tattered shirt. It's covered in wood dust and stitched in multiple places. It was stitched up with a pattern not unlike the modern Geely Suture. Suture. So I don't know what that is. No idea. You, that looks it's the name of a pattern, I think. Yeah. Okay. Gili Suture. Uh you notice fresh pine needles stuck to the back of the shirt. Hmm. Okay then. So it's a pattern shirt that Cade Brewer had with pine needles. Pine needles. Hmm. Where where do you get pine trees? Maybe that's where he gets the wood to build the coffins. Maybe, yeah. Let's have a look at the small jar. It's a small glass jar of painkillers with only three pills left. The jar is six months old, according to the tag, and the painkillers are a brand of opiox, a new type of opiate. There's a smiley face drawn... Uh-oh. There's a smiley face drawn on the bottle. So Brewer was in pain. Ooh. Apparently Brewer's been taking opiate painkillers, um, and, and they're six months old, and the, the bottle's got a, a smiley face. Maybe Brewer is some sort of crazy drugged up serial killer kidnapper type guy it's a possibility yeah um and the coffins let's have a look at the coffins uh you open a coffin and a wave of foul smell hits your nose the stench of blood and urine emanates from the wooden box it's disgusting isn't it? Mm. and you notice scratch marks dug deep into the inside of the coffin lid mardler looks away in disgust as you lower the coffin lid back into place all right so this is his mo he take he, he drugs he, he takes away the women, drugs them, and then they probably piss themselves when they wake up in the middle of the coffin. Yeah, because they're so scared that they yeah. the, the, they kind of pee their pants. Yeah, and then they scratch. You know the they scratch inside the coffins. Yeah, so you think to get he, out. So he's in he's he's keeping these women trapped inside the the coffins, and they're scratching on the inside to try and get out. Mm. It's a horrible uh, crime, if it's true. Yeah, okay. a bit like Silent Witness. It is a bit, really? I watched that last night. Did yeah. you? Yeah, had a bit of all a, right. um, a barrel. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, all right, let's continue. Um, and uh, whose turn is it? You, I don't know, it's yours, Amber's. me. Amber. Okay, you wait until nightfall, but Brewer never returns. He's out in London, hiding and biding his time, waiting for the predators to leave his lair. Scotland Yard Station. Posting a couple of police officers at Walker's Mortuary, you deliver the news to Mr. Worthington about his daughter's second about his daughter's second disappearance. What do you mean his second? Well, she disappeared from their house and then she disappeared from Joseph's house. Oh. It's all part of the same disappearance as far okay. as I'm concerned. Me too. You leave him grief-stricken so you can carry on with the investigation. <laughs> you leave him. I like that you're crying, but I don't care. I'm going. I'm going to leave. You I, see, I'm going to, I see that you're grief stricken, and I'm going to leave you grief stricken <laughs> in order a, to carry on with the investigation. I think there's a grammar mistake here, but you leave him grief stricken so that you can carry on with the investigation, working deep into the night, looking over clues and evidence. 
Okay. Well, it's like the, you leave him you leave so him. you can carry on. You leave on. him so you can carry on. Okay, carry on. Okay. Suspicious about uh, Four girls missing in six weeks, all with the same smiley face calling card. Chloe Worthington, Amy Anderson, Tasha Lively and Julia Alberts, all gone in a moment. Here are the descriptions of the girls. Chloe Worthington. Age. 16. Hair. Blonde. Height. 5 foot 4. Weight. 120 pounds. St. Anthony Private School. Upper class. Dun, dun, dun. Posh. Amy Anderson. Age. 19. Hair. Straw. Height. 5 foot 8. Weight. 135 pounds. No education. Lower class. Common mm. as muck. <laughs> Tasha Lively. Age. 14. Hair. Golden. Height. 5 foot 2. Weight. 105 pounds. Aperfield School? Yep. Lower middle class. Okay. And then finally, Julia Alberts. Age. 13. Hair. Fair. Fair hair. Fair hair. Height. Fair hair. <laughs> Fair parshar. Uh, fa- <laughs> uh, height. Five foot zero. Uh, weight. 100 pounds. St. Broderick School, upper middle class. Okay, they're all... All right. <sighs> they're all girls. They're all girls. They're all young. They're, all, they're from different social classes. 13, 14, 16, and 19 years old. Uh-huh. They're ones, they've all got kind of light hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, blonde or straw or golden or fair hair. Uh, they're all uh, similar height, although Julia Alberts is uh, five foot. Uh, it was shorter than the other girls. Mm. Um, they are... Um, Amy Anderson's a bit of a fatty there. Amy Anderson's heavier than the others. <laughs> she's also taller. She's five for eight. All right, all right, all right. BMI. Okay. Is Brewer responsible for all these disappearances? Why target these girls? What's common about these girls? Well, we've so talked about hair. Age, hair, body, social status, name pattern. <laughs> oh, bloody hell. Oh, why did you click oh. age, you muppet? Oh, I didn't realise. Can I... you go back? Can you click back on no, the I browser? Can't. I can't. Oh, you. Oh, Luke. Luke, you've ruined it. Oh, no. I, I clicked on age and it says, no, and it's, it's wrong. Hair. No, that and can't that's be what right. we actually said. It was the hair, right? We did even say oh, the hair. No, it's the hair. All the it's all over now. Clearly. All the victims have, have light hair. You're too tired to think clearly. Yeah, Luke. Uh, that was uh, an accidental click, was it? Well, yeah, because I thought you had to click on each thing to get more information. But yeah, no, yeah. What? I know, yeah, just a schoolboy error. Okay. But anyway, let's, we'll keep, you. let's keep going. Keep so, going. So uh, it's the hair. All the victims have got light hair. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we're, I was too tired to, to think clearly. All right, let's keep going. Um, and so... Um, oh, go back up because you missed it. It, it. it jumped. There you go. So you get a little rest at the police station, dozing in and out of consciousness while comparing files and trying to piece together who Brewer really is. You have brief dreams of a man in a burlap sack mask. Not a man, a monster. Mardler jolts you awake with a shove. Morning light meekly shines through the windows of the office. He hands you an envelope. This was outside, he says. It's addressed to you. You carefully tear off the seal of the envelope and pull out a note written on thick yellowing paper blotted with dark reddish brown dots. So it's like a piece of paper with like dark red brown dots on it. What does it say? Blood. Asks Mardler anxiously. And here's the note. It says, Mr. Detective, I've read about you loads of times in the paper. I'm honoured that you've taken notice of my work. Saw you before you saw me. I see good from far away. Saw you at the 
Italy's house and saw you at the dead man's home, but I can't have you finding me yet. You can find the girl now, though. She's hungry. She's cold. She's crying. Love, Mr. Burlap. He wants us to find one of the girls, says Mardler in disbelief. But where? She could be anywhere in London. You reflect for a moment and think about it. What's going on, Paul? So, uh, yeah, you, uh, we woke up uh, at the uh, police station thinking about, oh, this man, blah, blah, blah. And uh, our, our nice assistant handed us a letter that was addressed to us in dark reddish brown dots, uh, which we can check out the clue in a second. Um, and, um, and uh, yeah, he wrote us a letter saying, hey, I, I know you're on to me. Uh, but you can't find me yet, but you can find one of the girls maybe, and his English is awful. Yeah, the way he spells is terrible. Mm. I've read about you is spelled I-V space, red is spelled R-E-D, about is spelled A-B-U-T. All right, so the guy is illiterate, uh, and he's written to us, and it looks like he wants us to find him. Uh, Okay. So where do you think, should we look at the the dark reddish brown? sure. Let's look at the stains on the letter. All right. So you sniff the discoloured blotches and touch your tongue on one of them. It's a bit of a a risk, isn't it? You spit out the harshly bitter flavour and bite your fingernail in thought. It's laudanum. Oh, what is laudanum? Laudanum is a drug which they used to use, especially for ladies, to sort of calm your nerves. But it's highly addictive. So it's sort of pre-morphine. It's made from opium. Uh, Yes, that's right. Oh, what was the opium? Oh, okay. Uh, he took drug. Either the tablets that he had, the pills were OPE thingy magic. Brewer had a uh, a jar of painkillers made from opium in his locker mm. at the mortuary. Okay. Okay. So, so where is the woman? We, she... Apparently, we know. So either she's at Baker Street, she's at the cemetery, she's at Walker's Mortuary, or she's at a hospital. Cemetery. Why? Why? Does, why? Well, Barker Street's where she lives. He's not taking her home. Otherwise, she'd be at home. Would have. You know, Does we'd have known about Bar- that. Yeah, okay. Bark Street, where she's from. She's not at Walker's Mortuary because you posted police officers there, so the police officers would have told you. Mm-hmm. She's not at the hospital because he's got nothing to do with hospitals, but he obviously goes to the cemetery the yeah. whole time, so he must have a shed or a shack. I reckon he's plonked her in the cemetery. Okay. And, I mean, he he works with wood, so maybe he's like the grave digger sort of... Uh, oh no that led us to the mortuary the wood thing didn't it anyway you think he's at the cemetery I do mm. I mean she could be at the hospital because he's got the formaldehyde so he could be go. But there could be a morgue laudanum as well maybe laudanum is, is a, it was used for medical purposes you get that on prescription though <laughs> did you really back in Victorian days could you it, yeah it was like a, it, it was prescribed okay laudanum um, but they'd have it at a hospital wouldn't they the hospital or the cemetery I feel though if he's hidden her in a coffin he could have hidden her. Because he says she's cold. Mind you, it's cold in a morgue. Is the, is the not, cemetery or, or a hospital? It's not the morgue because the police are there. Also, she's good. But she she's, could be cold in a cemetery. If she's crying, you'd hear her in a morgue, wouldn't you? Uh, <sighs> yeah, she's not at the morgue. She's definitely not there. So, the uh, hospital. So, cemetery. Cemetery. Yeah. I think so. Okay, let's go. No. Oh, oh come on. He said, he, he, he brought her to the cemetery, you say. He must have. You, Mardler, and a handful of police officers investigate several of London's cemeteries, but you have no luck. You can't seem to find a clue of Cade Brewer anywhere. You sit and think deeply about who Cade Brewer really is. What was his profession before working at the mortuary? 
It must be the the hospital, right? The hospital then, yeah. Let's let's go with the hospital. That was our second choice. Okay. Yes, we got it right. Okay. Finally. Uh, Yes. Uh, Amber, do you want to carry on? You grip the bridge of your nose between thumb and index as you let out a frustrated sigh. (sighs) The clues snap together in your mind. We're looking in the wrong place, you say, getting the getting the attention of your police task force. We need to get we need to go to the Gander Hill Hospital. Were there? asks Mardler. Use your brain for once, you say in frustration of your own misjudgment, taking your anger out on Mardler. God, it's really detailed, isn't it? If you get it wrong. Kate yeah. Brewer must have worked at a hospital before going to the Walker Mortuary. In his locker, he had an old shirt stitched up with a Gilly suture. suture. That's that that weird pattern that we don't know. No, suturing is stitches. Oh, okay. A modern suturing technique. And he had a vial of opiox painkillers, a rare new variety of drug. The painkillers were issued six months ago at the time of Gander Hill's closing. Gander Hill was renowned for utilising new techniques and medicines, but shut down due to embezzlement and inner conflict. Remember the material that, that the note was made of. It was thick and torn, like it was torn from a folder, quite possibly a scientist's or doctor's. Of course. The blotches on the note were laudanum, <laughs> laudanum a painkiller made from an opium um, t- tincture. Brewer has access to chloroform, opiacs and laudanum, because he still must hide out in the derelict Gander Hill Hospital. All right, let's do this. What's going on? Okay. Well, they've deduced that um, it was not the cemetery like we thought, but in fact the hospital where he used to work before working at the mortuary because he has access to all those drugs, including the chlorophyll, formaldehyde. So so we think that he's at Gander Hill Hospital, but the hospital's closed now. Mm. Which is good because he can hide bodies there. Otherwise you hear people screaming inside coffins. So he's hiding out in a closed, abandoned hospital. Mm. Okay, right. Let's go to the closed, abandoned hospital. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Okay, we're going to stop there. I'm interrupting the investigation at this moment because that is the end of part one. Um, So, have you managed to keep up with the story so far? Do you know basically what's going on? You probably do, but just in case you're a bit confused, let me now give you a brief summary of what has happened so far, just to make it clear, okay? Now, this whole story is going to continue in part two. But let me just sum up or recap uh, the story so far, just to make sure it's all clear. Okay, right then. So, um, from the beginning, girls keep getting kidnapped in London. That's the scenario at the start. Uh, So far, three girls have gone missing. At the scene of each kidnapping, there is a calling card left by the kidnapper. It's not really a card, that's just an expression. There's a calling card left by the kidnapper. In this case, it's a creepy, smiley face scratched onto the floor. So, you know, it's a bit of a mystery, but we imagine that the kidnapper is scratching the uh, smiley face onto the floor as some sort of calling card. Okay. Uh, Taylor, Thompson and Minogue, or Thompson, Taylor and Minogue, uh, all of us playing the part of one detective with a particular set of skills... Uh, Taylor Thompson and Minogue are all called to the house of the Worthington family um, and we go with our partner Mardler. So we go to the Worthington family house where the daughter Chloe has disappeared. Using our deductive reasoning skills, we work out that she must have run away with her lover, 
a poor Italian paper seller called Joseph who speaks with a weird Italian accent that sometimes becomes a bit Welsh and then goes back to Italian again. And then it sort of amuses some people and then it slightly offends a few Italian people. It's a strange accent. Anyway, so Chloe must have run away with her lover, this Italian paper boy called Joseph. And apparently they planned to run away together, but their romantic escape was interrupted violently and unexpectedly when they were attacked at Joseph's home in a poor part of London. They were attacked. Joseph was hit on the head with a hammer, and Chloe was taken away. She was taken. Her body hidden inside a coffin on the back of a carriage. And we managed to deduce that the carriage with Chloe's body on board must have been taken to a local mortuary by one of the men who works there. A mortuary Mortuary, that's, that is how you say that, isn't it? Mortuary. Yeah, mortuary, okay. Just checking, just checking. Um, so, uh, yeah, so Joseph was hit on the head, Chloe was taken, her body was hidden inside a coffin, which is like a box that you put dead bodies in when you bury them, right? It's a bit macabre, this story, isn't it? Oh, yes. Uh, uh, and then we deduced that the carriage with Chloe's body on board must have been taken to a local mortuary by one of the men who works there. So we then go to the mortuary, and it's there that we work out that this man's name is Cade Brewer, and he's a kind of a creepy loner. Physically, he's a huge and uh, he's he's huge and strong, uh, and he seems to have an appetite for opiate pain-killing drugs, woodwork, and kidnapping. But we don't know where he is, so we can't ask him any questions. Now we've gone back to the police station to consider the situation more carefully. And here it is. So four young girls from different social backgrounds have been kidnapped and they all look quite similar. They all have light-coloured hair. Then we receive a note suddenly from the kidnapper who calls himself Mr Burlap. Uh, burlap is a kind of material that is used to create sacks that, let's say, for example, if you had like loads of potatoes, you would put them in one of these sacks. It's a kind of rough brown material, burlap. It's also, um, it seems to be the material that was used by this kidnapper to hide his face. He's made a mask out of this stuff, a burlap mask. All right. So uh, we get a note from Mr. Burlap, the kidnapper, and the note is written in broken English, terrible spelling. It seems that he wants us to find him. He's playing some kind of sick cat and mouse game with us. We suspect that Mr. Burlap the Kidnapper is in fact Cade Brewer. Just to, This is our suspicion at this point. The huge creepy man with the opiate addiction who works at the local mortuary. We decide to try and track him down. We first search some cemeteries in the area some graveyards, assuming that Cade Brewer has hidden her in a coffin. But we're on the wrong track. That was a mistake, searching the, the, uh, the, the cemeteries. Our deductive reasoning has failed us. Obviously, this is Amber's fault. Just listen back to it and you'll see that it's all Amber's fault. But to be honest, it didn't help when I clicked the wrong option at one point, losing us points and valuable time. Anyway, um, it turns out that Chloe Worthington is not being kept at the cemetery. The cemetery? What's that? I don't know. She's not being kept at the cemetery after all. In fact, closer inspection of the evidence shows us that Mr. Burlap must be keeping her hostage at an abandoned hospital. So we decide to go and investigate the hospital, but we've just we've just lost precious time 
by investigating the wrong place in the cemetery. Have we lost too much time? Will we find the mysterious kidnapper, Mr. Burlap, who wrote us the note in broken English? Will we find Cade Brewer? And is he in fact the kidnapper, Mr. Burlap, as we expect? Will we manage to find Chloe Worthington and the other three girls before it's too late? Will we manage to save them? Or did we waste too much time at the cemetery? What will we discover at the abandoned hospital? And why is Mr. Burlap playing such a sick and twisted game? Uh, So now I suggest that you immediately check out part two of this story, if it's available. It should be available pretty soon. In order to continue the story and to find out if we manage to discover the identity and motives of the kidnapper and how many of the missing girls we managed to rescue. Uh, I'd just like to say again, thank you to uh, Peter Carlson. Um, All credit goes to him for writing this exciting detective thriller. Uh, Remember that you can check out textadventures.co.uk to play more of these games. Um, And there are others written by Peter Carlson that you might enjoy. And it can be a good fun way to kind of, you know, do some reading in English and, uh, you know, just expand your horizons a little bit. So do you have any comments? What are your comments so far uh, on this story? What do you think of the deductive reasoning that we've used so far? What do you think of us as detectives? And um, what do you think is going on in this story? Who is the kidnapper? Why is he doing any of these things? Uh, generally uh, leave your comments in the comments section as usual. Thank you very much for listening to this one. Don't forget to join the mailing list so that you can get an email in your inbox whenever new episodes are uploaded. It's very simple. You'll just get an email and you can click the link. It'll take you straight to the page for every episode that gets uploaded. And that's a really quick way to get access to stuff like the show notes, bits of transcriptions um, and lists of vocabulary and uh, links, for example, links to textadventures.co.uk and lots of other uh, useful peripheral bits of information that can help you really make the most of these episodes of Luke's English Podcast. All right, that's the end of part one. Uh, I'll speak to you again in, in part two, but for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.